Okay, so this week's parsha is Parsha's Noach. And Noach is one of the famous um, characters in the Torah. I think almost everyone is familiar with Noach. Almost everyone is familiar, Jew and non-Jew, is familiar with flood, the Mabel. Everyone knows what the Mabel was to some extent, a certain, on a certain level. And we, I would like um, to try to um, delve deeper into the character of Noach. Who was Noach? What does he represent? And etc. etc. Because it's not every day that we get introduced to a person who technically he's not really. We're not really in, into the. We didn't really start the, with the Jewish nation yet. That's next week's parasha. We talk about Avram Avinu, Abraham. Abraham is really our first forefather. And Noah is really he's he's a, he's a, a very interesting individual because there's a lot of conflicting uh, reports on his on his uh, on his his uh, level of righteousness. So, like, if it, I'm sure everyone noticed the title, the header, which was um, zoos, zookeepers, and I don't remember how what I wrote of zoos and zookeepers, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, I tried having a little bit of, of fun. And the question is, was Noah a simple zookeeper? He spent a year in the ark, in the teva, in the ark, watching all the animals, running around like a chicken without a head. He was literally, the, the medrash, the commentaries tell us that he didn't even sleep, whatever that means, a wink, for an entire year. He did not sleep. He was so busy feeding all the animals. And you could imagine, I mean, I can't imagine, I don't know, but if you could imagine um, every single species of every single bird, every single subcat, every single bird imaginable, every single animal imaginable, you take every zoo put together, this, um, the Siberian white-tailed black-coated tiger and the African blue, every single thing, Every single animal in the entire world was in the in the teva in the ark, and and the him and his family had to feed each and every one of them. So, obviously, we're going to assume, for argument's sake, as a um, entry, the first step, as a step number one, that he was not a simple zookeeper, and there was a little more to him. But. The Torah seems to expound on the on the on the whole flood and his role in the flood to a great extent, to a, great, to a large degree, and it's just interesting to know. And without further ado, let's. I would like to start. Well, I just started off, but I would like to start with the end of last week's parsha, the last verses, the last psukim. In the previous week's parsha, says Noach, Noach was born, and Noach Hashem. Noach found favor in the eyes of God. That's how the, the the that's what the Torah tells us about Noach. Okay. This week's parsha, the Torah, Torah tells us, Eila told us Noach. Um, these are the offsprings of Noach. 
Noach if Sadek Tamim Noach was a righteous man, perfect in his generation. And then Noah walked with God. Okay? So the, the first thing that jumps out at me at least is we already were told, not what you were thinking, Steve. That also jumps out, but we're not going to talk about that. It, not yet. We're going to talk about that soon. The first thing that jumps out is the Torah introduced us last week's parasha, which is not so long ago. It's really just five or six verses earlier. But the Torah introduces us to Noah. And the Torah tells us that he was he found favor in the eyes of God. Whatever that may mean, how, how do I find favor in the eyes of God? Presumably by doing his commandments. Okay, fine. Just take that. Let's assume that, that, that that's what it means. So we know that he was a good guy. We know that he was a righteous person. And then the Torah reintroduces to us to Noah and says three times, three things. It says he was righteous, perfect in his generation, and he walked with God. What is why is the Torah repeating itself again and again and again? There's something very unique about Noah, clearly. And just to add to, to add on the flip side of it, if you if anyone um, takes a peek at Rashi, I believe Rashi says he quotes a medrash. He quotes um, some of the commentaries and says that there is a dispute among the um the in, and there's a dispute in the in the Talmud, I believe, or in the medrash, whether or not he was a real perfect tzaddik or he was not a real perfect tzaddik. Because it says, Bid he was perfect in his generation. Does that mean, what happens if we would have put him in a different generation, in a, in a generation of righteous people, like Abraham's generation, Avram Avinu's generation? Would he have stood out? So there's a dispute. One opinion is he would have stood out even then. And another opinion is, no, only in his generation was he so super special. But in a different generation, perhaps, eh, he would have been a regular guy. So why why the beef with Noah? Why couldn't we just leave the pasuk, leave the verse as it is? Why do we, why are we picking picking fights with him? Let him be a tzaddik. Let him be righteous. Why are we so nitpicky with him? I mean, oh, if he would have been somewhere else, he wouldn't have been such a holy guy. Let him be. Let him be a tzaddik. What do we have to lose by having another tzaddik in the world? We have enough tzaddikim to go around, right? So. So we're, 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 we're playing with a lot of different ideas, but what we see from here clearly, what we clearly can see is that there is something unique about Noah with his, to, in connection with his generation. And there are a few things we can learn from here. The first thing, the first thing we can learn from here is as follows. There's a famous Rambam, a famous Maimonides. And this is from the most famous Maimonides um, out there, probably, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong. If none of you know it, I'm wrong. But I'm pretty pretty convinced. It's pretty famous. The Maimonides writes in Hilchas Deus, he writes that the proper path, the proper way to live your life, to live a Jewish life, is the Derech HaMemutza is the middle path. We follow the middle road, trying not to go too much to the right, 
try not to go too much to the left. We follow the middle path. Okay. This is one of the most famous Rambams. Maybe you've heard of it. Not in the Maimonides, in, in the name of Maimonides. Maybe you have heard it in the name of Maimonides. Maybe it was so obvious to you. You didn't need anyone to tell you that. The middle path <laughs> in general is the right path to Jews. Like my, it's funny. Like my father, my father is in, in business and he, 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 he used to tell me he, 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 he does tiles, but he has a, he, he works for a tile company. He used to say, you get quotes, let's say shipping quotes or warehousing quotes. You look at the quotes, you get 10 quotes, you knock off the top three most expensive, you knock off the bottom three cheapest, you knock off and you only deal with the middle one. That's a, that was his, his golden rule when it comes to, to pricing. Because the, the bottom three, something's fishy, they're too cheap, top three, too expensive, you deal with the middle one. Anyway, take it or leave it. I'm not giving you any business advice. Don't call me if you get messed up. <laughs> but the idea is that the middle in general is pretty, pretty solid advice to try to stick to the middle. Okay. Now, obviously, the catch, which is a very, very big catch, is how do you define the middle? Where, where does the road end? Right? Do you include the shoulders? Do you right? How far? Right? So there's a right. This is how how life gets murky and life gets gray because life life is gray. Life is not black and white. Okay, we're not going there. We're not going in how to define the middle. But the idea is that we're supposed to stay in the middle. Okay, in general, we're supposed to stay in the middle. Except this is a not so famous part of the Rambam, of Maimonides. And he says as follows. He says, what happens when a person has a flaw in a certain character trait? He has a real issue with a certain, he's dealing, he's trying to deal, he's trying to perfect a certain character trait that is very, very, very flawed. Let's say a person has issues with anger. He has a terrible temper. And he has to deal with his temper. And he's trying to perfect it. He's trying to become a better person. How does he deal with that? Says the Rambam, says Maimonides, in such a scenario, it doesn't help to stay in the middle because he has already been affected. So how does he try to perfect this character trait? He has to move all the way to the extreme for a certain period of time for a short bit until he really eradicates the negative behavior from his essence. And only then can he end up moving back towards the middle. Similar to when you have something that that's bent out of shape, in order to bend it back into shape, you got to move it all the way to the extreme until right. So you have a, a uh, um, some wiring or, or some fencing or something that gets knocked over. You, in order to get the fence back to the middle, you can't just lift it up to the middle because as soon as you let go, it's going to move back to the side. You got to lean it all the way over until then you let go and it ends up in the middle. That's what the Rambam says. Maimonides says that. So in general, good advice, try to stick to the middle. If a person knows that he is, has a certain flaw and a certain character trait, try to bend over to get to the middle. So the Nesiva Shalom Rabbi... Um, I forgot what's in, what's his name. Rabbi, I think his name is Shlomo Noach Berzowski or Berzowski. He is famously known as the Yeshiva Shalom. That's why I don't remember his name. His magnum opus, his biggest safer, is called the Yeshiva Shalom. He was the Rabbi of Slanim. He was the Slanim Rabbi. 
And he takes this Rambam, this Maimonides, and he uses it to explain this pasuk, this verse, and Noah. He says as follows. Noah, Noah lived in a very, very, um, how do I say, perverted world. In a very, very um, flawed world. He lived in a world that was full of just terrible people, full of atrocities. The, the level of, of morals were completely out of whack. And the whole, the whole world was just completely messed up. On, on a spiritual level. So says the Nisiv Shalom, how does a person live in such a world that is completely out of whack? Wherever a person turns, he is bombarded with garbage. Who knows what? With spiritual garbage. How does a person deal with it? Says the Nisiv Shalom, if a person tries to stay directly in the middle and be a regular person, it's not going to work. He's going to be completely influenced. In order to keep himself in the middle, in order to stay in the middle, he has to keep himself tzaddik tamim. He has to be, as the Pasuk says about Noach, he has to be perfect in his generation. He has to be perfectly righteous. The Torah repeats it three times. Noah was a righteous man. He was perfect in the generation and he walked with God three times to repeat it again and again and again. He has to be much more careful and much more perfect if the more um, how do you say it, the, the worse your surround, person's surroundings are the more a person has to has to be careful how to keep himself not that he's going to end up being a zealot or he's going to end up being way extreme rather if he acts in those ways he will end up being in the middle that's what the Nesiva Shalom says and I just I, I want to add my little two cents to this as a, just an anecdote at the end that you know in sports they say this but it's 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 good in all in all realms of life that a good the best defense right is the best defense is a good offense in order to I'll do it in hockey because I'm a hockey guy in order to how what's the best defense if you keep the puck on the other side in your offensive zone that's the best defense because the defensemen don't have to work very hard. The goalie won't have to make any saves because the puck is in the offensive zone. So the best defense is a good offense. So if you keep yourself, keep yourself moving, you keep yourself ticking, you're constantly doing mitzvot, you constantly are trying to listen to classes, study Torah, whatever it may be, do acts of charity, you're always constantly being proactive. That's more I would call offense. You're being proactive in your in your mitzvah observance. So then that is the best defense to keep yourself secure from the influences outside. It's like another example. I'm also a lifeguard. So I always I always teach the kids when I, I'm an instructor, when I teach the kids how to, how to swim, what happens when a person tries to swim? Okay. Tries to swim in the deep end. So I, you notice something. I'm, I'm, I'm oversimplifying it because I'm trying to bring a point out. But you'll notice something very interesting. A kid, you put him in the deep end, he tries to swim. And after three or four strokes, he's out of breath. He, he stops swimming. And he can't swim anymore. Why not? Because you need to breathe. As soon as a person learns how to breathe underwater, right, he breathes while he's in the middle of swimming, he can go for hours. I mean, obviously, depending on your endurance, but 
let's say even if a guy has no endurance, 20 minutes, 10 minutes, the difference between swimming four or five, six strokes, you can't even make it halfway across a pool versus swimming, who knows how far, you could swim uh, miles and miles. What is the key ingredient to swimming in the water? How do you stop yourself from, right? The, really water in, in, in a swimming aspect is a hostile environment because you can't, you can't breathe in the water. So technically, water is obviously our, we, we live in we live with water. But if you're trying to swim in the water, if you're if you're in the ocean, you can't breathe. So how do we how do we keep the water outside our our body? So the answer is how do you keep the water from going up your nose? The answer is if you're <laughs> consistently blowing out your slow stream of bubbles, you blow out, the water can never come in. Because you're consistently blowing out bubbles, so in a, I'm sorry if that was a little extreme, a little uh, abstract, but so in a spiritual sense, it's the same thing. If you're consistently blowing out bubbles, you're consistently being proactive, then the the effects of the outside won't be able to come in. It won't be able to affect you because you're consistently keeping. Right, you're keeping all the water out by blowing out. So when we are proactive in our mitzvah observance and whatever we're doing, and we're not stagnant, then we will have ourselves pure and holy, and we will be able to keep out the outside influences. Okay. That is that. Joel, if you want to ask a question, go right ahead. You still got to unmute yourself first. There you go. Start again. Yaakov, Yaakov learned with 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 Shem. It shame. wasn't Shem. Wasn't shame. Wasn't shame Noah's child? Yes, he was. Okay. So so all that Yaakov learned to teach to Yosef that Yosef could endure the the Egypt, he he learned from Shem. But somehow Noah imbued that strength in his son. It, it just. You know, looking at, at what right. Noah... so, so you're 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 touching upon a very very important topic. I, I I'm not sure if that's correct what you said, but but the concept is a very important concept, and what you're bringing up, the point you're bringing up, is 100 percent true and 100 percent um something we need to discuss, which is that that there was a shame was uh, considered the, the leader of the generation post post the great flood. And he seemingly got a lot of, of knowledge from somewhere. Now, we know that Avram Avinu, Abraham, he got all of his wisdom. He was a self-made man because his father, mm -hmm. Terach, was a complete idol worshiper. And we know the famous story. With I mean, maybe we don't know it, but I'm, most of us are familiar with the story. His father... Who has sold idols and Abraham came and he knocked, smashed them all out. He left one big idol and he put the sword in the big idol's um, hands. And his father Terach comes in. Now, don't try this at home when you're a three year old with your father. Or however old, <laughs> I don't know how old Abraham was, but he was not an old man. And his father comes in fuming. What happened to all these idols? They're all destroyed and decimated and desecrated. What's going on here? And Abraham said, I don't know, ask him, ask the big idol. He has the sword in his hand. He killed them all. And his father was all fuming at him because he had to admit 
that this little mischievous son Abraham was the one who knocked them all out, but he couldn't admit it because Abraham said that the idol was the one who had power, and right. So he got his father in a little bit of a catch twenty-two. Either he would give his son a little patch, or he would have to admit that his right. His, so he, so hey, but Abraham was a self-made man. He taught himself. He understood. He recognized God. He looked around the world and he said, there's such a beautiful world out there. Trees, forests, waterfalls. Who made this? Someone made it. Didn't happen by itself. You spill a bunch of bottles of ink on a, on, on a table. It's not going to make a, a masterpiece. It's not going to make a beautiful painting. It's going to make a blur, blub. So what happened? This didn't happen by accident. This is, this is, and he recognized that there was a God. Okay. So it's not far-fetched to say that, that shame, who was Noah's son, also understood that. And now perhaps he learned from Noah, perhaps he did not. But one thing we see for sure, which I was going to talk about, so I'm not really getting off topic. So thank you, Joel, for, for bringing it up. I was going to speak about it much later, but I could bring it up now once we brought it up which is as follows. What was, or I rephrase it, we have two characters that we just brought up. We have Abraham, Avram Avinu, who was the father of the Jewish people, and we have Noah. Noah was, again, we said a character who was talked about in the Torah. He was considered a tzaddik, and he was not the father, the, our forefather. He was not the father of the Jewish people. It wasn't until 10 generations later that, that the Jewish people um, were born, so to speak. So what was different between, obviously, the, God wanted Abraham to be the forefather of the Jewish people and not Noah, obviously. But in a deeper sense, what was the significant, what were, if you if you could think of any, I'd like to ask the, the crowd, I'd like to ask you guys, what were the differences? What was so special about Avram, you know, about Abraham that made him, worthy to be the, the forefather, to be the father of the Jewish people. And Noah seemingly seems like he was a nice guy. He seems righteous. Like we said before, the Torah says three times, repeats itself over and over again that he was perfectly righteous. I don't believe anywhere, anyone else in the whole Torah is considered, has the same um, definition, considered a perfectly, uh, Noah was a righteous man, perfect in this generation. I don't believe anyone else in the Torah was called that. And yet, we don't, we don't find anything post, like after he died, it, it took ten, 10 generations of of random generations of people. The Torah filters through in, in just a few verses until it gets to Abraham and it continues to, to discuss the Jewish people. So what happened? What was... What was Noah. Yeah, go for it. Go ahead. Noah um, didn't influence other people to follow him, whereas... Avraham Avinu influenced other people to believe in Hashem. And he was a leader that changed. He brought, Avraham Avinu brought about more changes in the world around him because he influenced people. He had a gift of showing people uh, um, who Hashem was and what was going on. Noah did not do that. Perfect. So this is so what Linda said was the how do I say it? this is that's the 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 first answer the most classic answer that's given which is that 
I, I'm going to call it for just just to, to bring it out. Avram Avinu, Abraham wasn't Kirov. He did a Kirov. He did a Kirov. And when a person does Kirov, when a person does outreach, he shows that he's not living for himself. He's living for others. And that is one. We're going we're gonna to continue on, and we're going to talk about it further. Other other different character traits, but that is one of the most fundamental character traits of the Jewish people. We don't live for ourselves. We live as a single unit. The whole Jewish people were one large unit and we all share in each other's struggles. We all share in each other's um, and, and we we have chesed. We have, if you look at any, it's the most beautiful thing in the world. You look at any Jewish uh, um, city, you will see an abundance, I shouldn't say any Jewish city, it doesn't make any sense. Any city that has a large population of Jews in it, that's what I meant. You will see an enormous amount of tremendous, tons of uh, outpouring of, of chesed, of, 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 uh, of kindness, of, right, you have different organizations, whether it's the, for the needy, for the poor, for the sick, um, you name it. They have it. If you look in, uh, I, I remember we had a, in Lakewood we had a phone book, and one of the one of the sections was a phone book of gemachs. So I don't know if anyone everyone here knows what a gemach is. I'm sure everyone right. Gemach is, is short for gemilas chasadim, which is basically right the kind of, doing kind things for other people. And a gemach in, in today's day and age is just basically a a word for a an organization, I think is too official, but a so an organization that helps for any specific uh, cause. So in Lakewood, in the directory, there's like around like 350 different gemachs. And wow. you name it, they have it in there. They have a baby formula gemach, they have an air conditioner gemach. If someone's making a, <laughs> they have a car seat gemach, they have, you name it, they have it in there. They have a gemach for, for, for hangers, for coat racks, for, for whatever you have, whatever, you have, baby bathtubs, anything you want in life, they have a gemach for it. And of course, we're not talking about a gemach for money. Even right, most uh, nice functioning uh, Jewish cities have a, a money gemach, a short-term loans for someone who's struggling. And, and because one of the tenets, one of the first main priorities that we as Jewish, um, as the Jewish nation, as you didn't have, is that we don't live just for ourselves. We live for each other. We live for others. And that, like Linda said, that was something that obviously on his, on his level, that was something that Noah was lacking. <laughs> Noah lacked the, 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 he didn't care, so to speak, about others. It means that Noah was a righteous person. And he's, he survived the flood, but he was building this ark for 120 years. And his the goal of the 120 years was to be able to do it very slowly. Other people should ask him why he's building the ark. And he should tell them, I'm building the ark. It's a great flood. You know, you could also do teshuva. You could also repent. And he didn't do that. He just minded his own business and he got saved because he deserved it. But he didn't bring anyone with him. So he kind of was living for himself. That is the first idea. Okay. Anyone else have any other suggestions? Maybe perhaps with the difference between Noah and Avram. 
how would there have been room for more people on the Teva? So that's a very good question. And in fact, so much, it's, a, it's such a good question that the, the, the measurement <coughs> tells us, in fact, if you think about it, how was the room for, for all the animals? That itself doesn't make any sense. If you imagine how large the, 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 the Teva was, it wasn't very large. It was large enough. It wasn't, it wasn't the, uh, it was, how, how, how big was it? Um, quick, 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 find it. It was 300 cubits, which is, let's just argument, say like 600 feet by 50 cubits by 100 feet. So it was 300 That's by 100. Okay. That's big. 300 by 100. How many lions and tigers can you fit into a space of 300 by 100? Okay. And, and zebras and giraffes and every single subspecies. And there's 600,000 different species of, of birds. And each one of them have different subspecies. The, the Medrash tells us that it was a miracle in itself that mm -hmm. all the animals fit in the table. It was beyond, beyond comprehension. Can you imagine every single insect? Every single worm, every single grasshopper, every single bird, and etc., etc., etc. You can't even comprehend. If you could try to go onto an encyclopedia and try to or Google it, how many different types of animals are there? I, I it's it's an unfathomable number. And that's for all the animals that are extinct. Even that's they were there too. Uh, Rabbi, another difference was that where Abram is noted for his kindness to man. Um, Noah was noted for his kindness to animals. Okay, that 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 could be something interesting. That could be something interesting. That would that would that would go count. That would go counter to to twenty first century uh, um, um, school of thought. But we're not going to go there. <laughs> but the but the the just back to Leslie's point about the 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 everything fitting into the Teva. And I, I, I said that it was a miracle and there was many more miracles. You know, that polar bears can only live in, I shouldn't say can only live, but they, they have a habitat. They live in the Arctic. Maybe not polar bears because I know they're in the zoo here, but there's plenty of other um, things that animals that live in the Arctic and they cannot survive in the tropics. And there are other animals that only survive in the tropics and you have to bring them inside in the winter, even if they're in the zoo. In the winter, they're all indoors. And the Teva didn't have any air conditioning or heating, right? It wasn't the, it didn't have any uh, any H, HVAC system going through the Teva. <laughs> so that itself was a miracle. As that, we know it. As we know it. As, <laughs> right. So it clearly okay. there was but Just, there had to be there had to be something because you cannot continue right. to breathe carbon monoxide. So exactly. So that alone was a miracle. That's what that's exactly what we're trying to bring out. That alone says the Medrash, that alone was a miracle. So even if theoretically you can go in and tell me that everything fit, which wasn't really your question. Your question was how did the people fit? I'm just moving on. The fact mm -hmm. that the that the habitats somehow all managed to mingle intermingle with each other that alone was a miracle okay why did noah what's the once there were so many miracles in the in the table <coughs> in the ark why did god make noah feed on the animals and he didn't sleep for an entire year why couldn't god make another miracle and let the animals it's a good, good question now let the animals live who cares why did noah have to run like a run around for an entire year the French say 
travailler, travailler, toujours travailler, which means you have to work every Very day. Good. Very good. Very good. So that's another, that's exactly. So that's another, another uh, piece to the puzzle where we see that Noah himself, perhaps, and this is according to those opinions that he was not per perfectly righteous if he would have been in Abraham's generation. He didn't necessarily deserve, and this is also again to, to our point before that, that 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 Linda made, and I guess Joel also brought that up. He didn't necessarily deserve to survive the flood on his own merit because he didn't live for others. So God says, you will survive the flood, but for an entire year, you will not have anything to do with yourself. You will com be completely and utterly selfless, and you will not be able to even sleep or eat or do nothing for yourself. You will have no self-care whatsoever, completely selfless, and then he deserved, with that merit, he deserved to survive the flood. And nobody could have relations. Either. That's also true. Exactly, 100%. And his son got, got, got whatever the measure says that he did have relations and he got nailed. He got whatever. We're not going to go there. But. Well, um, and he, he got, he got, he got, he got into trouble for doing that. We'll just, we'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, so we will move on in life. <laughs> Sorry. Try try not to get too controversial here. Okay, so Steve, you're invited to ask any questions you want. You just got to unmute yourself first. There you go. Uh, Rabbi, so according to, I'm not sure what source, but there's 55 prophets of, of the Torah, is it? We have um, uh, something like that. So no, maybe I think 48. 48 and seven non-Jews or something or seven. Plus 55, that makes sense. There you go. Boom, yeah, or... Well, and that would work. Uh, so 48 plus 7 is 55. That would, that would be perfect math. So if that's true, was Noah considered one? Of, so no, that, no, no, that's something else. Uh, and 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 we're running out of time. So it's hard. We'll talk about that after. Remind me after we finish. We'll talk okay. about that. Because the the there, there were, I'm just going to say in, in case anyone doesn't remember and keep track. The 48 prophets, those are a very specific um, level of prophecy, which is specifically um, referring to people who give prophecy that has effect, has influence for the future generations. So um, a lot of times people just went to the prophet and asked them for, for advice or information about if I should, I'm just giving you an example. I don't know if this happened, but should I open up this business? Should I travel here? And the prophet would tell him something. That type of prophet was not counted in these 48. There were hundreds or thousands of prophets. These 48 prophets were the prophets that wrote books that were had influence in in, in the future generations. Okay, so okay, we're not gonna find. So back to us. So there's one. There's a few other ideas that that we're gonna try to separate between Noah and Avram Avinu. One other thing, I see we're running out of time, so we're going to say one, we're going to talk about one more, and if we have time, we're going to go to the next one, the third one. So we'll, we'll, two is good enough. We had the first the first big difference between Noah and Avram Avinu and Abraham was the fact that Noah seemingly lived for himself, Abraham lived for others. The second difference, big difference, is like this. 
we find in the beginning of Noah's life, he was considered a righteous person, a tzaddik. He was a holy man. Yet at the end of his life, after the flood, not as famous, the Torah calls him Ish Adama, a man of the earth, man of the land. Mm-hmm. He got drunk. Oh, very good, because he got drunk. After the flood, the first thing he did was planted a vineyard and miraculously, mm-hmm. we're not going to get into that either, miraculously within <laughs> one, well, the miracle bar, within one day, the grapes grew, he harvested them, he crushed them, and he made wine. They fermented all in one day and he got drunk. All in one day. Okay, we're not going to talk about, again, after we finish the class, I got to end on time. You can go on forever. But right now we gotta we gotta stick to our time limit. So the he got drunk and the Torah calls him Ish Adama, a land, a person of the of the earth. Very, very uh non-flattering, if I uh, dare say that. Right, to say the least. Yet Abraham of Ramavino, he had the opposite trajectory. He started off, like we said before worshiping idols, or at least he grew up in a family that was worshiping idols. He recognized God. As he got older and older and older, he keeps on growing and becoming better and better and more spiritual until the climax where he, not the climax of his life, but the climax of his tests where he goes to sacrifice his child and 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 the Kedas Yitzchak and Hashem says no, and he doesn't sacrifice him, and then and he's really on a very very spiritual level, and he comes back home after he does not sacrifice his son Yitzchak, his son Isaac, and what happens? What does he meet at home? He comes and says Sarah. hi to his wife, says hi Sarah, and she is not, she's dead. Very very mm-hmm. uh, uh, brutal uh, um, uh, ending to the story of the survival of his son. So his son comes back and his son survives and his wife is gone. Very, very brutal ending. So what happens? What's the difference? How does Abraham, how does Avramovina react to the test? And how does Noah react to the test? Now let us delve a little bit deeper into this concept. Noah, the Medrash tells us, the Torah tells us the word in the first verse in the in the parasha, the first verse in this week's Torah portion, it says, Ela told us Noach, name of Noach, Noach, again, is tzaddik, he was a righteous person, it says Noach's name in the first verse in the parasha, three times it says Noach's name. It says Noach's name three times. The Medrash tells us, what is this referring to? Noah lived through three worlds. He lived through a world of peace before the marble, before the destruction. He lived through a world of destruction. He lived through the world of rebuilding, of after destruction. This is what it's referring to. Okay? And there's unlimited amount of um, things to talk about when we talk about this concept of the three worlds he lived in. But what we're going to focus on is this very, very specific detail of rebuilding where he witnessed utter destruction, desolation. He opens up the ark 
and there's no vegetation, nothing, no grass, no trees, nothing. He's planting from scratch. And what happens? He's a little bit, gets a little bit depressed, a little bit down. He's in the world, right? All his friends, his colleagues, all gone. Animals not in the Teva, whatever was in the Ark with him, gone. Everything is completely desolate. First thing he does, he plants, he plants a vineyard. He gets drunk. He wants to drown out the misery. Do we blame him? Do we say he's a Russia? Do we say he's a terrible person? No. Why? Because yes, it, it it's terrible. It's destruction. There's something. There is something to be said about the fact that that it's depressing. It's very difficult to rebuild. Was he worthy of being the father of the Jewish people? That no. We don't call him a bad person. We call him mediocre. Call him average. Call him run-on-the-mill Joe. Nice guy, but was he worthy? What does it take to be the father of the Jewish people? Specifically the Jewish people, because the Jewish people face so much destruction throughout the generations. So many times that there was destruction constantly. And that's part of we live in exile. We live in Gaulus. The first, the most important I shouldn't say the first, this is the second answer, but one of the most important um, things that we have, to, one of the most important character traits we have to, we have to have the ability to rebuild, the ability to move on, to move on and to rebuild. And Avram, Avinu, Abraham, like we said before, what happens? He comes home after the Akeda, after the, he comes home after the, um, the non-sacrificing or the, potential sacrificing of his son. He's all excited to tell his wife that his, Isaac is still around. He's passed the test and his wife's not there anymore. That is opportune time to just throw in the towel and lose it and just give up and I, I can't handle this. This is what I get. This is what I get after I we pass the test and the culmination of all the tests of, of, of God testing Avram Avinu, God testing Abraham. This is what I, this is my reward. Yeah, he doesn't do that. He doesn't get depressed. He right away starts and he go busy finding a burial plot. He's paying for it and he's the whole story. And then he's right away trying to find a potential a shidduch. He's trying to marry off Isaac. Right away, he's busy moving on to the next thing, trying to rebuild, trying to move on, trying to get the next generation up. And running, that is the 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 father of the Jewish people. That is what we have in our DNA. In our DNA, we have the 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 rebuilding, and we we, we in, in in recent times, um, we we see with with the Holocaust generation, the post Holocaust generation. It, it I mean I, I I mean you guys are a lot older than me, most of you, all of you. Um, you grew up <laughs> with these people, with, the, with seeing these people. Me was my 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 grandfather. I remember my, my grandparents were were Holocaust survivors, and it, again the same thing. And even not Holocaust survivors, even the the people most of America, most of our either grandparents, parents, great grandparents, whichever generation we're in, um, came from from Europe or Russia. They came from persecution. They came running away from different um, forms of anti-Semitism to settle in America. And, and their whole mission, their whole life was rebuilding, 
was trying to build, trying to move on, trying to connect, trying to build, and everything was trying to rebuild. And that's one of the most important things that we have to that we have in our in our life, in our in our DNA. We can't give up. There's no such thing as giving up. Giving up means understanding that 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 it's over and let, and it's never over. We always have to be consistently rebuilding. And that's one of the most beautiful things besides for again the first thing we mentioned which was which was the chesed and living for others but another thing another one of the beautiful character traits that we have is the uncanny um neck or whatever you want to call it that we're always always able to move on we're always able to take things and and, and build on tragedies and not let tragedies get to us and that is one of the things that we can separate and we can say this perhaps is another reason why Avram Avinu Abraham was worthy of being our forefather, and perhaps something that was lacking in Noah. When Noah faced a tragedy, and at the end of the day, he survived it, but he didn't thrive. He didn't thrive in tragedy. He survived it. He made through it, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, of the day it got him. Do we blame Noah? We don't blame him as a person, as an individual. We don't blame him, but as a leader or the forefather, that he wasn't worthy of being. Okay, everyone have a great Chavez. See you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Rev.